Welcome to Trail Manners, the podcast so dedicated to mountain trails and running that they broadcast out of a 78 Volkswagen bus in the mountains. Who does that? Eric and Joel are your hosts and will bring you the trail life as you may have not heard it before. You hear about everything from gear reviews, nutrition to keep you upright and moving forward, and they'll even bring guests into the bus for conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. It's time for some running adventures on a higher elevation. The old 78 Volkswagen bus is fired up and headed to the mountains. Here are your hosts for Trail Manners, proudly representing the 801 with their passion and love for the trails, Eric Manning and Joel Hatch. Welcome to the Trail Manners Podcast, episode number 57. Today, you'll be hearing from a legend, Mr. Rock Horton. I can't tell you how excited and humbled we were to have a chance to sit down with Rock to talk about trail running, ultra running, and the culture within it. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. Okay, welcome back to the Trail Manners podcast. Uh, Studio 78 is still in the shop, um, getting work done. So we're at the Blue Star Coffee Shop in Salt Lake City. And just a pleasure and honor to have our next guest on. Uh, We have Rock Horton. Uh, Rock, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Eric. Good I, to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it because, you know, we. I wish I'd record before we get on because we just had a really great conversation, and so we're going to be bringing that a lot. So, uh, you know, maybe first off, just maybe if you can give us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the trail, you know, ultra scene a little bit. Yeah, well, um, I didn't know anything about the trail running when I got into it. This was mid-70s, and uh, I, I was running in the mountains a lot then, uh, mainly just to stay in good condition because I was a climber, mountaineer. I spent a lot of time in the Sierra and the Tetons um, climbing. And so running trails was just a a means to be efficient on all terrain. Then the uh, early 80s, I heard about this thing called uh, the Western stage. You know, this is the, you know, the golden era, Gordy Ansley, and then the course the Leadville and I had a couple of friends that were doing the, these things and I thought it was sort of interesting and like most I uh, really you run 100 miles wow that's that's a long way and uh, and uh, so uh, I, I really didn't get into it uh, as a sport or to see it as a sport until uh, the probably the middle part of the 80s and then I, I recognized that uh, there were actual races, and uh, at that time, I think there was only maybe 800 milers, probably not even that many, but every, everyone knows what they are. They're the, the classics, you know, Wasatch and Western and Leadville and Old Dominion and Vermont and uh, some of the early ones. And anyway, I, I didn't really pay any attention until, oh, probably 92, and I was living in Colorado, and Leadville 100 was right over the uh, right over the pass, and uh, I had a friend who asked me um, to come over and pace him. I didn't know what that meant, uh, pacing. I pictured like this pace car at the Indy 500, you know. And anyway, I showed up, and I was going to run from Twin Lakes to May, May Queen, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I had this big heavy flashlight. There were no, no LEDs or anything at that time. And uh, anyway, I just kind of slogged along, but it turned out he didn't make the cutoffs, and so it was kind of a uneventful entry to the sport. And then, uh, then my uh, my girlfriend, now partner, now wife, uh, she got interested, and we found this magazine, this little black and white rag called Ultra Runner magazine, and in the back it had all these races. And next thing I know, she's saying, "Let's do one of these things," and so I signed up, and. Uh, it was, uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was this thing out in California called the Lost Boys. It was a 50-miler. And like everybody, you know, I mean, I finished barely, just under the cutoffs, but I was hooked and sort of realized that uh, running outside on trails was more than just staying in shape, but it could be sort of a pastime in itself. And then uh, I just kept signing myself up for races. And uh, then, of course, the big 100-miler, 
um, opportunity came up, Leadville, of course, because I could train right on the course, and uh, that was my first, and uh, 20 years later, still doing it, and uh, so uh, it's been um, interesting to see the sport uh, metamorphose from a sport to now it's a, it's an industry for business. Um, now there's, last time I counted, 1,300 milers that are out there, maybe even more. Uh, 50Ks, there's huge growth in the sport as we know. Uh, that is great. It's it's come with some issues, of course, uh, from um, just, you know, land, land use and uh, the whole sort of social media thing has sort of taken over, so the communication with uh, runners now is is so seamless and effortless where I, I kind of laugh when I look back and when we were starting this, uh, you know, to get results, you had to wait maybe two weeks or two months for that magazine to come out so you could see the results on who won the Western States, and now you get it live, play-by-play, -play, via satellite, you know, and so uh, things definitely change for sure, and... Uh, and uh, it's grown uh, beyond what I ever dreamed it would be. And uh, along the way, uh, you know, I realized that I, if to stay interested, there was a much more that I needed to do besides just the running. Um, and I realized that it takes a lot. It's basically a sport unlike others. It's pretty much 100% volunteer driven. Everything that happens out there are uh, our volunteers that that make it happen volunteer race directors volunteer aid stations volunteer communications people um, borrowed equipment um, yeah it's tooth and nail and so i i sort of found out that you know to make it continue to be vibrant it needs just as much effort uh to give back as it does to go out there and and run and and try to um you know, to be strong in the mountains and relying on other people for your own pursuits. So um, at this point now, I'm probably equally giving back as I am uh, in, in running. Plus, my stride's getting a little creaky, so it's, <laughs> can't use, I can't do those back-to-back 100-milers -back like I used to now. So anyway, that's, yeah, so it's been going on, going on 25 years now, and uh, it seems just like yesterday. Uh, towing the line there at the at the Leadville I think there was maybe 80 of us wow now there's over a thousand so that kind of gives you an idea of sort of the the picture that's in my head you know over the years on how things have truly changed so now early on you said you know you kind of did your first trail run and you got hooked what was it that hooked you about being in the mountains on the trails you know get, get I guess kind of just grab you and pull you in well, you know, there's lots of cliches that you hear, you know, being close to nature and uh, having time to think and filling your head with good air. And um, I think mine was being being a climber. You know, I was always aspired at being in high places, being sort of up on top, looking down. And so the, the running was the same thing. It was a way that you could bring yourself to the top of something and look down not necessarily on top of a peak, but on top of an experience. One of my favorite sort of uh, sayings is, fine-grained men seek high places where the juices of life run a little richer. And um, I, I still believe in that and feel that every time I go out and run. And so that's what I think got me in, and that's what inspires me to continue to go out and to find those places. And whether it be the canyons or whether it be the mountains, whether it be in the winter snows or in the hot desert sun, um, you know, it's it's finding sort of that higher space that sometimes only a good run can bring you. Now, you have a, just if over your years, I mean, I've seen you, and we just had this conversation. I mean, you've kicked me out of aid stations saying, nope, you got to keep going, take the popsicle with you. You've, you know, you volunteer, you do all this. But you have a really unique connection with hard rock now you know with your aid station you you do the virginia's pass right the kroger's canteen at thirteen thousand feet what's your connection with hard rock and how did that kind of come out too yeah well as you can imagine i'm full of hard rock stories <laughs> i don't think you got enough uh, megabytes on that computer to uh, to capture it all but uh yeah it was it was one of those uh, things i could hardly believe when i first heard it like like 
they run from where to where to where and um, so I did a little bit of research and again there was no internet at the time so I had to make some phone calls and hey do you, have, do you know anybody that's done that hard rock thing um, and you know finally I found a woman that had done it she told me all about it and I thought wow man I gotta I gotta maybe check that out so I signed up, and hard to believe that the race didn't even fill. In fact, the race director, Dale, he asked me if I knew anyone else out there that I might know that would like to jump, you know, jump in and try this thing. But anyway, so I signed up, and whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, that was, um, that was a whole different sort of league, even for a climber, mountaineer, alpinist that I was. It was, it was certainly an eye-opener. And... Uh, so I came back year after year after year, and it, it grew, and pretty soon, uh, you know, they had to cap it because uh, there's only so many people that you can handle in those uh, conditions um, in that whole wild and tough kind of environment that they have out there. And um, so, um, yeah, it became my, it became, you could say, the center of my universe. You know, everything was based around July, first week of July and you know my training and all the other races that I would surround it with and uh, my work everything and I would go down like many do and I would practice on the course and um, and it just around every corner over every pass there was always some new new thing I felt um, new experience new challenge that I had to figure out and uh, so it became it became a real I, I hate to use the cliche but it was a game changer you know and just I think my life in general and uh, the people that I would meet there and which are all lifetime friendships now um, since then and uh, so then you know as the popularity grew I had all these friends that oh you got to try this you got to try this you got to try this and um, and then I suddenly realized, well, they can't because they can't get in because of this lottery thing. And um, and then I realized that it had grown past its own capability to have everybody involved like I was. And so I decided to step aside, kind of noble thing to do, and um, and let other people in into the race. So I kind of picked a ceremonial person that I wanted to take my spot, and I had just done my 10th hard rock and so I thought that would be a nice round number to, to step aside and so I sort of ceremoniously gave my spot to Dakota Jones because he was kind of my new young sort of warrior you know this 19 year old kid that just clocked the 50k race in Moab the red hot and I couldn't believe the talent this kid had and I thought oh that guy's got to do hard rock so I thought <laughs> he's the one that I want and um and miraculously he got in so I think there was some karma there so Dakota got my spot and he did well I think he got second that year and uh anyway but as you can imagine it left a huge hole in my heart um walking up to that start line with my street clothes on and I wasn't there for after 10 years I was not gonna cover that course and so I needed a void and so I thought you know there's this one place on that course that some for some reason just captivates me in lots of different aspects and that's Virginia's pass from the history of what the miners have done to get over that pass to hit the brothels and to get their paycheck over in Telluride to what that pass meant to me in the middle of the night in a pounding hailstorm and uh, you know trying to grovel my way up and over that thing and so I wanted to take over that aid station and so I asked um, Dale and uh, we arranged it and so the following year uh, there I was the aid station director or uh, captain of Virginia's Pass and so I've been there for uh, seven going on eight years now and uh, and I told Dale one time that you know he would go well how how's things up there you know what's it like not being in the race and I had to be honest with him and I said Dale you know something especially in the counterclockwise direction working that aid station I think is a bit harder than running the race itself <laughs> between hauling all that 700 pounds up there and being up pretty much as long as all the runners are up, over 50 hours without sleep, and kind of taking every runner like they're my brother or my sister and giving my all to make sure 
that they get over that thing like I did for so many years. And so it was, it was, uh, it was a new way to, I mean, I had to train for this thing. I mean, uh, for an aid station. You know? And I realized that, man, I got to have other people that are as crazy as me. So I, um, I decided that it's going to be like a little alumni place where uh, old hard rockers maybe go to finish out their careers. Maybe they're not at the starting line, but they can still give something and have the same exhilaration. And uh, so that's what we have now. So my my hope is to give. Uh, Kroger's up there uh, 10 years and then maybe hand it off, n nice round number. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe go and, if I can get in, of course, <laughs> that dang lottery, uh, maybe try uh, one last swan song to, to get around that course one more time, um, maybe as my last run of my entire career. I don't know. I think that kind of stuff once in a while. So, uh, yeah, so it's anyone that's been up there knows exactly what I'm talking about. And um, it's a special place and always will be. And, uh, yeah, if you ask me, where do you want your ashes? Well, it's pretty obvious. That's where I want my ashes. Well, I mean, you talk to anybody who's done the race or been up there, and, it, you know, not that the race itself or the other experiences aren't there, but for sure the, you know, the Kroger Canteen experience is something everybody will talk about. They talk about it. I mean, the size of it, kind of what happens up there, you know, far as you know they get a shot of whiskey you know tequila whatever you have on tap it's really good mezcal yeah <laughs> really good so i mean you've also I don't even drink <laughs> so you've put a, a stamp just your own little piece of that race that's it's it's iconic really part of the race so you know that's that's awesome how you're doing it. i love the fact that you have hard rock finishers or alumni up there um kind of the same kind of the same aspect as well as you have a song old hard rocker which I think a lot of people have heard, which is kind of a fun little ditty there um, as well. So now with, with uh, you know, your running career, and we'll kind of get into it. We got into this a little bit earlier. But, you know, one of the reasons we're going to talk about you is because you've been around the, the, the trail running or the sport, we'll call it, for a long time. So we had the conversation of you knowing so many people involved and just that kind of everybody that got hooked in and was in it for whatever reason they were in it for. And now we've got this change, this growth of the sport. Um, you know, on this show or on the podcast, we like to talk about people doing it for the right reasons, respecting everything. Um, you you come from both sides, like we talked about. You're at Black Diamond, um, so you come from kind of that sponsor side, but you also come from that pure side of running. Kind of what's your your overall thought right now of the the scene and what's going on? Yeah, well, I I don't feel even though I've been doing it a while, I don't feel like I'm one of the pioneers. I mean, I have huge respect for that generation before me, the Jim Kings and the Gordys and the Rick Trujillos and uh, the Ann Tracens that, uh, and even probably before them, the Native Americans that were running these trails long before uh, we were. And so I feel like I'm a little more of a bridging generation where I had experience uh, with some of those early runners. They were certainly my, my mentors and icons and heroes. And then, um, so then I, sort of had my my years through uh you know the, the the beginning of the growth and then now at the current state you know i see myself as as maybe one of those uh i really don't think you know i could call myself a pioneer by any means uh i just let's just say i was a, a half-hearted zealot that just <laughs> loved this whole thing and i'm lucky enough to to have, I think, uh, you know, or to be part of this fabric, this community, this tribe, whatever we call it these days, some amazing people and uh, amazing people, and that I now call lifelong friends, and I'm that to them. And so, um, you know, along the way, it's good to, because as we know, us trail runners, especially the ultra runners, we have a lot of time to think, and when we're running, I, I think all that air in our head gets us to think rather well. And so it's, we can evaluate where we are, where we're going, where we've been. But I think the, the one word that summarizes it is, you know, is respect, you know, and trust. Trust, uh, trusting each other because, you know, we are trusting these, these race directors, you know, sending us out and scantily clad in the middle of the night. Uh, 
and and knowing that you know we're gonna make it to that finish line and and respecting everything along the way but something that I've, I've noticed more and I and I don't know if it's just because the the communication now or all the 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 components of what we have the, the coaches and the books and the podcasts like this one and um, and all the blogs and the social media components that are now entered the sport and I and I almost think that there's a information overload and if I was getting into the sport uh, now I would be I think I would be very frustrated just because, like, who do you believe? Is caffeine good or is it bad? Yeah. Uh, is, you know, how do you train? Who do you train with? Um, you know, is speed workout good? Is speed workout bad? You know, you can just go on and on and on. And, you know, all I had to worry about back in the day was, you know, making sure I had a little bit of water and we had a Snickers bar and a, <laughs> a flattened out peanut butter sandwich in my back pocket. And that's all, I, you know, we had to really worry about. And, uh so now there's so much information, and I think in some ways it's good because someone, you know, it took me, I, honestly, 10 years to finally figure it out where I could be somewhat proficient, where I wasn't uh, always sick or blistered or confused. Uh, and now I see these upstart runners that are coming out of even high school or college, and, you know, and they're going right to the top of the standings. And uh, wow, and how much they know so quickly, and you know, because of all these modern components. But at the same time, there's a disheartening uh, element that I, you know, when I, I read blogs or reviews or things like that, and there's people dissing each other, or there's there's a sense of entitlement where, well, I, I paid for this race and I think the food sucked at those aid stations and, um, you know, the, the prize was this little piece of wood on this ribbon and that was, that was bogus, you know. I've been running marathons all my life and I get this, like, really cool medal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to start ranting here, but I would just start to see more and more of disrespect that the sport that I just had never really seen before. And so just like any, any big growth... You know, yet you have some of this stuff that starts to come in, um, and so. Uh, but that aside, what really started bothering me was I would see the degradation of of the natural environment itself, and um, I won't mention the race, but I was at this hundred miler, very popular old classic <laughs> hundred miler, uh, just west of Denver, um, and. Uh, Oh, you know, and it was it was huge, uh, <laughs> and uh, everyone you know certainly uh, knows what I'm talking about. And um, but it was sort of that first wake up call, like wow, you know, like this is this is where it's all come. And you know, I felt like uh, there was this ad uh, back in I think it was the '60s or '70s, and it was an ad about uh, picking up your trash in America, and it had this this Indian and it, uh, or I should say this Native American, and it was talking about keep America beautiful, you know, don't trash. And the, the Native American chief had this tear running down his, his cheek and because he was looking out at this landscape that had been trashed. And that's, I felt like that, you know, that, that guy and sitting in the background watching the sport just get trashed, literally. The, from every aspect of it and so then I thought well don't complain about it just try to set a good example so I it gave me the inspiration to try to do good in in steward um, new runners and race directors and just best practices in 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 runs I tried to get involved with as many runs as I could volunteering trying to generate less trash, trying to encourage runners to not go out and train on muddy trails if they could avoid it because of damage, uh, and recycling and the use of re reusable cups rather than cups, um, you know, paper cups, and everything I could to try to get it to be driven by the runners themselves, best practices, so the run directors, race directors would, would follow suit. And... Uh, and some have, and some have done a great job, and some are, are learning um, at the same time. But 
at the same time, the, the environments themselves, those very precious ribbons of trails that we all really need, we've got to, we've got to protect those and we've got to go out and work hard to keep them in, in the kinds of condition that allow many of us, many more than we ever have, uh, to go out and run them. And even my local trails here in the Salt Lake area, you know, the beautiful Wasatch, you know, and I hold deer and I'm, I'm seeing just the massive onslaught of new users, which I'm excited about because hopefully these users will vote to keep wilderness and keep these trails and maybe get involved with trail work and um, encouraging other new people to, to do the same. But um, it's, it's important that we understand that, that this stuff is not... It, it, it is a renewable resource, but we have to uh, stay aware of that. And we all know that there's trails that are now closed, some of my favorite that I can't really go to. There's race courses uh, that are uh, at risk of having to change because of land use issues, whether it be private land or whether it be public lands. And race directors now are struggling to get permits um, as a result because of so many people, the liability of people, people that maybe don't feel they need to be responsible for themselves because they have aid stations every five miles and they have their phone in their pocket. They can call for help anytime they want. Um, and so now the, the, the land use agencies, whether it be Forest Service or the BLM or the private landowners, are certainly aware of all these new users and they're fearful that things could happen. And so it's putting a little pressure from all different directions on the sport. So I think it's being that it's such a volunteered sport driven, there's no governing board, there's no international association of XYZ. And so we have to be governing ourselves. And I just hope uh, that the, the new runners understand this and continually give back and show responsibility in every way they can. So, because, I mean, I know I don't know how you look at yourself. I know sometimes people don't look at it, but, I mean, you're definitely a mentor, you know, for a lot of people that are still doing it and still doing great things and people that may not be doing it as much. But, I, I mean, I could go down a list of people that I've talked to and your name pops up, like, every time. So, I mean, you've been that mentor. What kind of things, you know, because we like to talk about that here, what kind of things would be kind of, I want to say advice, but maybe some best practices for, like, this newer generation of runners that are coming up? I mean, what are some things that people can do you know you just mentioned you know maybe vote or you know what i mean what are things that could kind of keep this thing pure yeah well i i think the first thing um you know is just take a little time and understand sort of the history of the sport itself you know understand who who made the difference who who brought about some of the great things that the sport has to offer and you know, find some find some idols, find some heroes, um, and and do a little research there because there's so much beauty to the sport based on everyone that has trodden those trails before us. And um, so I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is just to have patience um, in today's world. You know, that world of instant gratification and massive overdoses of information. It's easy to like, oh yeah. I want to finish a 50K in three months. So I'm going to go hire a coach. I'm going to read all the books, and I'm going to finish my first 50K. And, and that's, that's great, but I think to have a little patience along the way and don't force anything, whether it be you know, bodily injury or just um, maybe a misunderstanding of what the sport's all about in the first place. So I think just having some patience and uh, taking some time to, to learn it somewhat sort of naturally or organically sometimes that word gets overused but uh, you know just like chill out and um, take your time and then I think the next thing is is pick your pick your events your races and it doesn't even have to be races or events um, I know some runners some of the the runners that were my heroes when I got started they in fact they didn't even care about races they were I guess you would call them adventure runners. They were, they would just go out and cover terrain anyway. And this was again, people that had heritage in climbing and mountaineering. And so, running to them was just efficiently being able to cover any terrain, whether it be vertical or horizontal, any weather, day or night. And 
they were my heroes, people that could um, run across the Tetons effortlessly and safely with a minimal gear, with a really clear head. And when they were done, you know, they didn't tell a soul about it. You had to dig it out of them. Like, hey, I heard like you ran across the Wind Rivers. Like, what What about that? And, you know, they, they wouldn't tell you, you know. It was their little secret world. And um, so it's not all about racing. It's all not about competition and about your Strava rating or your Ultra Sign Up rating. It's more of just sort of internally what you feel. And everyone comes into this doing it for a different reason. Some do it because they are really competitive and they just want to beat the next person. They don't want to be second or even third. Other people do it because they just, and this is probably my case, I just like to see. I like to go places under my own power and I like to open up my eyes and I like to see beautiful things in slow motion rather than passing them rapidly in a car or an airplane. Other people do it because maybe it's another addiction. It's Maybe they're coming off of an alcohol problem or something that they've found a replacement that's very healthy. Some people do it because it's a family thing where, you know, they'll, they'll bring their kids. Like, I think that's one thing that Hard Rock has become. It's, uh, it's this incredible experience for families. And when I see these little kids, I know some of those are going to be towing the line as adults. You know, of course, I'm going to be kind of that old man sort of leaning on the edge <laughs> of the gym there. And I'm going to go, man, I remember that kid when... She first learned to walk, and there she is, you know, and I'm really looking forward to those moments. So whatever the reason, but the, the bottom line is it's, it's the natural world that we're all experiencing, and we gotta, uh, we got to take care of that natural world. And uh, whether you're a participant or you're a volunteer or you're a run director or you're a sponsor, um, sponsors need to be responsible too, so they're sponsoring events. And, and doing it for the right reasons, um, to encourage healthy growth, because that's certainly good for business. And it's, it's good to have new people entering the sport and getting the same experience that, that we've gotten over the years and decades. But at the same time, you know, it saddens me when people are out there dissing each other or they're ragging on some race director because they didn't get their way. Or maybe there's too many people now for the spots for some of these popular races and they end up on waiting lists and all their training goes to haste and you know that's certainly tragic but it's I respect uh, the Forest Service for putting limits and run directors for abiding by them so we just don't overrun these things because there's certainly be another other sports that have been overrun by just we'll just love it to death and then we'll look back and we'll all have that tear running down our cheeks um, like gosh we ruined it yeah and you know i mean what you say is so interesting because you talk you know firstly when you talked about the kids you see at the start line because i it but i got into this over 12 years ago and it wasn't as a runner i wasn't a runner i was a college soccer player i hated running but a good friend of mine started doing it so i remember my first dip into it was just the culture right the culture of these events and these runners and these races if you will and that's really what grabbed me is the people you know and not that it's changed immensely but we've had the conversation earlier as well that that's changed because there are more people coming in so you don't have necessarily all the same connections because when I first met you it was down in Hard Rock you know I mean we didn't have this big conversation but I just remember the community everybody knew each other right and we talked about that and the growth of it and now you look at it and it is a little bit different and more spread out and maybe you don't recognize people but back to what you're saying is it's our i don't say objective but it's our i don't know we to keep the sport pure as we we need all these new people come in it's it's part of that culture right it's trying to get them to understand what you're talking about is why it's a pure sport these people got into it not to race not for the shirt not for the medal not for the course record you know they got into it to mm -hmm. be with each other spend time in the mountains spend time on the trails and and finish and have a beer you know have a you know have a, a meal together um as a race director because you've done the race directing thing too um, what can be done on that side? I mean, you talk about limiting things, but I mean, it seems it does seem like race directors come under an amount of 
scrutiny whether I didn't get the size of sweatshirt I wanted. You know, I know I registered yesterday, but how come I don't get a coffee mug? You know, things like that. As a race director, is there really much you can do? Because it seems like there's that fine line of I want people to sign up, so a negativity is going to impact my race, but I can't just be willy-nilly. Um, yeah, I think, one, it's just um, not only has the growth been in the, the participants, but in the number of races themselves. I mean, I, I used to be kind of geek out and try to keep track of all the new events, you know, and then, of course, that was beyond my capacity. There were so many new 50Ks, and, and then when in, in the non-ultra distances, the half marathons, the marathons, the 10Ks, and all these plethora of distances now that are off-road, um, you know, I gave up, and, you know, you need a fairly sizable hard drive now to keep track of, you know, all these events. And so at the same time, there was, there was, there was growth and anyone that, you know, is savvy goes, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to start a race. Cause I won, I think it's kind of cool. And, uh, I would love to have people come to my town and run my trails. And then all of a sudden they realize, well, I can make a little money on the side, uh, putting these events on, you know, if I keep my costs down and, um, and so then the the number of, of race directors just sort of popped up and like anything, you know, some were able to to pull off better organized events than others. Um, and just like the runners themselves, I think some were doing it for maybe the wrong reasons. And so there have been events that have been less than well managed and not that they all have to be perfect but at least if they're going to be year to year to year they have to improve each year and so but i think uh race director's responsibility number one is just the resource we talked about for they got to pick their courses carefully making sure that sending 300 500 a thousand runners over those trails is is gonna is gonna work and you know they're gonna need some help they're going to need some advice from the local land managers. They might not agree with it, but, um, you know, they have to know when the land can't take it anymore. Next thing I think they have to do is provide, uh, you know, adequate just care and feeding for the runners during the events, care and feeding for the volunteers during the event, uh, adequate preparation, money-taking, accounting, all sort of the business aspects of putting on an event. And then I think speaking, you know, addressing the cultural thing is is offering sort of uh, extensions of the the run itself that bring those people together. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll look at some of these, you know, some of our heroes. I'll, you know, I'll use Carl Meltzer, you know, as local Salt Lake runner here, good friend of mine. You know, I I work with him on his speed goat race. And, you know, through the years, Carl was always that guy, even though he just clocked a course record or he just won his 2700th miler. You know, he didn't have to stick around after the race. He could have just gotten his car and drove home and turned on the TV or taken a nap, gone to a pizza. But he didn't do that. He would put on his old ratty slippers and his <laughs> ratty down jacket, and he would sit there at the, at the finish line, and he would cheer every single runner to the very last runner in, race after race, any time, you know, he was out there. And so, and it was because there was some meaning, obviously, for him to do that. And so the, the point I'm making is that the run directors make a space, make a... Uh, make a, a sort of a look and feel to their finish lines or their start lines where this can occur. And if you look at all the great events out there, the, the after the, the, the beer parties afterwards, the, the hot soup, the burritos, um, you know, the, the live entertainment, uh, so many of these great events come to mind. Um, the Bear 100, like who would you thought you can eat all the shrimp and <laughs> trout you could ever stand at? at the Bear 100, you know, things like that, and just the camaraderie. And it all boils down to we need stories. We need we need time, just like these podcasts. We need to be able to tell these stories because that's r really what is the, the joy of the sport is all the stories. And occasionally people come go, Rock, you, you know, you should write a book. You know, God, you're full of stories. Uh, and I thought, yeah, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could capture all the stories especially the 100-milers because there's 
There's so many of those all-nighters and, uh, and capture all those stories into a single volume, a single book. And um, that book is yet to be written. I don't know if I have the capabilities of writing it, but that's anyone listening here and you're a, an aspiring writer and maybe a photographer, ultra running is in dire need right now of the book, the book that captures the essence from, uh, from the beginning to the current and maybe a vision into the future and captures some of these stories. And um, so back to the race directing thing, you know, to, to create the venues and to make it comfortable for people to share those stories, to be there with their kids and maybe their parents and their grandparents and to sit there and come, come off of a, of, a, of a hard race and to feel that community, that camaraderie, that tribal feel, that, that means something, that matters. And um, especially when the events go well, but even when they don't go well, when the weather is crappy or the, the course markers got poached and the leader lost 45 minutes and ended up in fifth place, we still need to celebrate and to share those stories because those things will, will live on and on. Every single mile, new stories will pop into your head and you need to cherish those. Now, you, speaking of stories, I mean, like you said, you, ha you could write a book, you have a, a, a ton of stories. From like the Hard Rock course, from the hard rock culture, from the years that you've been there, you know, what's that, 17, 18 plus years at least, right? Because you were talking mm -hmm. about the added time. Um, do you have anything you could share with us, like one story that just pops out that's just something that maybe people would <laughs> gravitate towards even? Oh, my. There's so many. There's so many. Um, oh, gosh. Um, oh, yeah, man. Well, yeah, here's one. It doesn't even have to do with racing the hard rock. It was it was going out and doing a training run one time, and um, I was with Catherine, my gal, and um, I can't, Buffalo Boy, somewhere up there, Maggie Gulch area. I had this cool hat. It used to be kind of, you know how every runner has their hat. <laughs> the you know, hat. It's like the hat. Like you just don't, it's your identity. It's your badge of honor. Anyway, I left my hat up where we'd done this little turnaround and I had discovered it like halfway down this this valley down in towards Maggie Gulch and so I go crap you know I gotta go get my hat where is it and so Catherine offered to to go up and and get my hat for me and I thought oh, what? sure okay so I had I had this time it was probably about a half hour away so I had this time so I'm just out there this beautiful little grassy hillside full of wildflowers you know there and uh so I'm just leaning on my elbow, looking out over the, the landscape around, and anyone that's been down there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, I looked down at the ground, and I, and I saw all, this, all these little creatures just like right in front, like in a, maybe a six-inch square. So I kind of dug my fingers down into the dirt, and oh my God, there was all kinds of cool little ants and little bugs, and little, I didn't even know what they were, but they were moving little things and um anyway the the moral of the story it like gosh in a hundred miles just imagine all the little things that you're sort of stepping on <laughs> you know <laughs> or or going going past all the little tiny tiny flowers and so what sort of ingrained in my head that day was that it's easy to look at those big peaks, especially at Hard Rock, because it's such a magnificent, bold, full of expression. The, the, all those peaks and 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 the passes and the and the deep valleys and the the creek crossings and the air and the sun and and I know I'm waxing a little poetic, but stop some time and notice the tiny, tiny little things at Hard Rock as well. Uh, dig down in the gravel, maybe, at that Mineral Creek, and there's all kinds of like little larvae and stuff, you know, under those rocks that you're stepping on, or some of the micro little wildflowers. Um, and someone told me, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's some rare clover out there on the Hard Rock course that it's one of the only few places in the world that this even exists. 
And uh, it's like this little tiny, tiny, like the size of Lincoln's beard um, <laughs> on a penny um, clover. And ever since, I've always sort of keep an eye out for that <laughs> stuff. I've never found it yet. But anyway, so that's, that's a story that it's not the big things. It's the little things that make uh, a big thing more valuable. And so to, to look, to look close at uh, what you're running across. So that's probably my, my favorite story. <laughs> so when you, when you first started doing the running thing, kind of started getting into it a little bit, maybe doing some races and stuff, and you look at it today, what are some things that surprise you? I know there's probably a lot because it's grown and it's, you know, diff, you know different time and everything, but what are some things that you would have looked back then and go, I would never believe that would have happened? Uh, repeat, repeat that question. Not sure so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first started running, you know, say in mid eighties, maybe even the early nineties. And when you see the growth and where everything is today, is there certain things that surprise you that you would have thought in the early nineties that you would never have seen that, whether it's hard rock filling up or, you know, someone breaking a record at the Grand Canyon. Is there things that you look at that would have surprised you back then that is capable or happening now? Well, um, you know, like they say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And it's really just it's two feet and a pair of lungs and some eyes and and the and the earth. You know, and and that that hasn't changed. But um, I think just the the number of people, of course, and like I mentioned earlier, it just the way everybody knows about everybody else because of social media and so then immediately you can take an opinion or you can make an opinion or you're you can sort of perceive things the way you want to uh, and there's no mystery about it you can log on anytime and you can sort of get the facts or you can uh, you can get you know the information that you want with a click of a mouse and I guess I never thought I would ever see that because uh, ultra running to me when I started was more of this mysterious thing. It was, it was almost important to you that no one knew what you were doing because it was your little secret world. It was your little special place that uh, yeah, you were kind of like sort of a, um, it was sort of anti-culture. It was you almost wanted to be sort of an odd duck because it made you cool because <laughs> uh, everyone else at the time was running marathons and, you know, if they were running at all or they were surfing or they were, uh, I don't know, into NASCAR or Indianapolis <laughs> or things like that. And here you could tell your high school buddies or your college buddies that you're you're going to run you know, across the mountains in a, in a day that you used to backpack in seven days or nine days. And so it, it was this counterculture, I think, then, and I never thought that it would go mainstream. And now it is mainstream, you know, where you can read about Carl Meltzer, you know, in the New York Times about <laughs> doing the Appalachian Trail in record time. Like, no, I never thought I would <laughs> see that. <laughs> and, by the way, Carl, nice work if you're listening. <laughs> Can't wait to hear your stories. Yeah. But at any rate, I, um, and then I think just, you know, of course, the quantity of runners uh, that are out there. I could go some of my favorite runs, whether they're in Colorado or here or in Southern California, and I could almost bet you a dollar I would never see another trail runner. You know, you just never saw it. And uh, you could see hikers with their dogs, but you never saw it. And now some of my, you know, my favorite local daily runs here, it's it's not a, a day that goes by where I don't see, oh, uh, let me exaggerate here, but at least a dozen, if not more, trail runners, you know, with their vests and their hats and their Stravas and, and their compression and, and all that stuff out there and uh you know and which is good to see you know and especially when they're when they're you know having fun and they're being respectful and maybe they stop and say hi or maybe they have a question like hey have you ever been over that trail where does that go and i guess i i love it when people don't log on and do sort of look at the tribal method of gaining information by asking the 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 tribal elders, if you will, you know, because that's, 
that's sort of how I had to do it. I didn't have, um, you know, all that information. And so if I wanted to seek out a new run or, hey, is there water down there? Can you get out of there before dark? Uh, uh, you know, all that stuff now, of course, you can log on and, and get all that. But I, I love being stopped on the trail and asked just simple questions like, where does this go? Full, you know, fully knowing that they could just pull their little phone out right now and <laughs> Google it. And, you know, and the little blinky blink is going to tell them exactly <laughs> where to go. And there's going to be 10 write-ups and the fastest known time and, and all that stuff. But I guess... I love the innocence that's still out there, and I love uh, that new runners that decide to run innocently and just kind of take it mile for mile rather than cramming their heads full of all this preconceived information and then being let down when it doesn't quite unfold that way, um, you know, in this little, little movie that they saw um, online. So. Well, because what you were talking about earlier, too, is just the simplicity, you know, just like it's a pair of shoes your lungs it's the ground do you still kind of keep that simplicity with going away from maybe the the technology and the, the gels and the nutrition do you just try and keep everything you do still just to keep it simple as you can well no i mean i you know i i geek out i'll admit it <laughs> you know i mean i kind of look at when like when i started there were no gels there were no cell phones there was no internet you know there was i look back at that and I go wow you know like how did I do it? Well, I've, easy, you know. I, I just, you know, you just did it. And, but, a lot of these these technologies, for sure, you know. And I'll I'll use headlamps because I know that game well. Yeah. And and they've made it possible now to go one, two, three nights in super bright quality white light, you know, on a single set of batteries, and and make night running as fun and cool as day running. Uh, for those that choose to do that. And, um, you know, you don't have to borrow dad's 3D cell ever-ready, you know, tin <laughs> flashlight anymore and bring spare batteries and bulbs anymore. So for sure, you know, and, and nutrition and the comfort of carrying hydration and uh, injury uh, prevention and injury mediation and... I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, and certainly I haven't embraced all that. And uh, But I think you have to know when to not let it overwhelm you. And I see some people that might get let that sort of get in the way of the true experience, and that's their, their decision. And uh, But, you know, when I see them taking all this time um, to prepare, let's say, for a, a 50K or a 100-miler or, or any distance, and spend all their time getting their gear together in these giant, giant drop bags that, you know, they'll get to an aid station and they'll get their drop bag and they'll be just confused, like, oh my gosh, what, what should I grab? Uh, I got all this stuff here. I packed it for a reason, but I'm really unsure why I did. In fact, I don't need any of it right now. So they just throw it back in the pile, and they grab a pretzel and a banana, and <laughs> off, off they, go. they go, and they have a great run. And so it's important to know when to um, not need gear as it is to need gear. And then on the flip side, we see a lot of people that will go out there underprepared, especially when the, the forecast looks bad, and they knew full and well it was probably going to snow at the high elevations. They knew full and well there's nine to 13 miles before between an aid station and for some reason they felt that they needed to leave the aid station in a singlet and a half a bottle of lukewarm water and that's all they had and of course they get out there and they get in trouble and they're either you know bailed out by other runners or they stick it out just grid it out but they have a they have a ragged time and maybe they drop maybe they don't but um, it makes race directors really nervous to have that kinds of things occur and so um, it's good to know when to have gear and when not to have gear and uh, it just takes experience to know that so keep experimenting and that's a lot of what you need to do whether it's a nutrition it's because you mentioned there's so much information overload but it is trial and error that's how you learned right it was trial and error what worked what right. didn't work in t today's world there's you know 
exaggerating 500 gel companies out there now you know <laughs> yeah. so you got to figure out which one's going to work now people are making their own so it is a lot of that so i'm gonna put you a little bit if you if you had your magic wand and you could wave it in the air what would you like to see the future of this sport do oh that's easy uh just preservation of the landscape it's simple as that it's just that the world is becoming a smaller smaller place you know um and you know in the in the sport of of trail and ultra you know when i started i had no idea what was going on in asia and in europe and you know and, and uh, yeah i thought that oh ultra running must be just a southern california thing because that's where i was when I, and little did i know man no 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 they've, they've been running in europe long before we were but i never knew that and so i and it wasn't until I went over there and started running in places besides Colorado or Utah or Southern California that it kind of opened my eyes. And so I looked at other landscapes and how overtrodden some other countries have gotten because of, of uh, you know, maybe too many people on these trails. But I think that's, that's the number one thing is we need to protect the landscape. And the planet's getting smaller. There's more and more people that want these trails. There's motorcycle riders or snowmobile riders, equestrians, mountain bikers, ATVers. Trail runners know who they are. And, and they're just as important as we are. I, that's one thing that I've definitely changed is, man, I used to get really pissed off, <laughs> really pissed off with them. And um, it, it just took a few of them that would approach me and turn their bikes off, knowing that I hated noise, and sort of roll away after we have a conversation. And then I would, I got to know their world and just like our world, you know, there's a few people that might not understand the ethics of it and are there for the wrong reason. Well, they have the same kind of thing, and they want to be responsible. I'm speaking of motorized sport users here. And I know some of your listeners completely disagree, but uh, I feel that they're actually our allies. Some of the trail work that I've done out there, who shows up? There's a lot more motorcycle riders that are pitching in, moving rocks, protecting trails as there are trail runners um, and so they're they're trying to be responsible so we're all need to share these beautiful landscapes and understand each other's needs and um, encourage the land use people that and here in Utah have an odd and even days where that you know maybe a mountain bike shouldn't go there on an even day to give it all to a Christian or a dog walker or, or whatnot so just making hard decisions so there's room for all of us, I think, is the number one thing. And then the number two thing, I think, is just to make it, make your life better. Um, make it that lifestyle. Um, it doesn't just need to be a bucket list of things and then you move on to the next thing. I think running whatever you choose from the little 5K around the park uh, to a 200-miler or running the Appalachian Trail in 45 days, <laughs> whatever you decide to do, you know, is make it your life and make it your health and make it the spirituality that maybe you're looking for. Make it the, the, uh, the vehicle and the viaduct where you gather friends and, and maybe even... Uh, people you end up sharing your life with forever and ever, you know, like your wife and kids and, and all that. And it's a generational thing. And then let's just pass it on so all those little kids that I see at the starting lines and the, and the finishing lines out there cheering their parents on, and their parents are their heroes. Well, let's make sure that when they're taking the baton that they're carrying the same um, honor that we feel that we can and the only way that they'll understand that is we need to set you know good good role models for them and to lead by example and um, so I, I guess that's that's it you know and just uh, it's a landscape and it's it's having fun it's it doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't have to be technolo technological in fact you can strip it down to the very very simplest things in life and that's, I think, where running should be. Nice. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end on that because that's very well put in so many different ways. And you know, it is a responsibility of the people that are doing it to like do as you have done and help bridge that 
generation bridge the gap because we've talked about it with other people on the show whether it's the third or fourth generation of what we're calling the ultra runners that are coming out now is it's our responsibility to make the sport what we want it to be but it's also what it has been and was given to us you know ahead of time i mean we've all looked back at our mentors who had mentors before them and it's our responsibility to keep passing that along so our children and people down the line can enjoy it just as much as we do so, Rock, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time uh, to sit down with me today and, and talk about this because I think it's such a huge importance, you know, for what we want to relay to the people out there listening, but just in general what needs to be done all over. So thank you very much for taking the time. Right. It's, it seriously is just an honor and a privilege to sit next to you and, and hear you talk so eloquently and so, um, you know, just kind of from the heart on this. So thanks again. All right. Thank you, Eric. All we'll right. see you on the trails. All right. I hope so. Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners Podcast. We'd like to take just another moment again to thank Rock Horton for taking the time to join us with his busy schedule and for the stories and just reminding all of us that we're stewards to the trails and it's up to us to keep them in the condition we would like them to stay in for many years to come. We'd also want to encourage everybody to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trail Manners or swing by our website at trailmanners.com. There, you can check out our store page for some gear or you can hit us up on the contact page and let us know what you want to see, who you want to hear, or if you would like to be on our show. Until next time, this is Eric Manning reminding you, you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. Now go get it.